might be that you guys are actually sort of the sun is setting on what a, a truly free Canada looks like. That's what it seems like to me. I mean, you've got a absolutely ridiculous clown of a prime minister in Justin Trudeau. I mean, he is he is sort of the worst of what these people are. He is just a fake do nothing, but he looks right and he wears fancy socks. But the worst sort of virtue signaling progressive, big government buffoon who wouldn't know how to stand up for his country if his life depended on it. And he's more than happy to use, uh, you know, the, the levers of power to silence his own people. And the idea that you or Jordan Peterson or Gad Sad or anyone else that we've mentioned here would be treated under the law as the same way as a, as a outfit of journalism, you know, just someone who talks for a living, gives their opinion for a living, it's so deeply dangerous. This is the stuff we expect out of regimes in the Middle East, not out of you know Western nations. So if you're someone who's really interested in the culture war, there's no doubt you've seen at least one episode of The Rubin Report. Dave Rubin is a political commentator, and he's also an author of Don't Burn This Book, and he's also the host of The Rubin Report, a show where he coalesces countless interesting minds that have opinions which may go contrary to mainstream media. He's someone who really understands censorship, and as someone who talks for a living, I really want to get his insight on what's going on in the world with big tech and censorship in Canada. But before I do, I should mention that this video is sponsored by Surfshark. Surfshark is a VPN that allows you to see content which may otherwise be censored. Why is this relevant in Canada? Because Bill C-10 just passed, which means that soon this content, my content, content that you like, content that goes against Justin Trudeau, may be censored. So you need a VPN. If you sign up below today, you get 81% off Surfshark. What else does Surfshark do? Well, if you're in Canada and you want to watch American Netflix, you can do that too. You can move your IP address which not only lets you watch content from other countries, but it also safeguards you. It safeguards you from viruses, from hacking. It also safeguards your location. For $2.49 a month, you can get Surfshark on unlimited devices, 24-7 report, Netflix libraries from 30 different libraries, ad blockers, and so much more. But most importantly, you are supporting freedom. You are taking ownership of a free internet. You are taking ownership of an open internet. So I highly recommend you sign up to Surfshark below, 81% off if you sign up today. Go do it and keep your internet free. All right, Dave, welcome to Cancel This. Angelo, it's good to be with you. So I've been following you for a long time and I have to stroke your ego real quick here because the whole reason I got into what I'm doing is because of what you're doing. You, you sort of have... Um, inspired me and others uh, at the post-millennial to do what we do. You make it something that we can grasp. So uh, I'm going to start off right off by stroking your ego and saying that that this is a huge honor for me um, to have well, you on. Well, thank you. You know, a key to interviewing, perhaps you learned from me, is to say something nice to the guest right up top to soften them so that you can then subtly bludgeon them with incisive, difficult questions. So I'm ready. Oh, okay. Well, it's get ready for bludgeoning then. <laughs> <laughs> well, As I said to you right before we started, whatever you want to do, nothing's off limits. Here we go. Awesome. Well, I want to start off right with your book because you have a book. I got it right behind me here. Don't burn this book. Um, 
it's been out for a little while now, but you know, I, I've been I've been reading it lately, and there's one chapter that really sticks out to me, and this is one of the major reasons why I wanted to talk to you because on a microcosm, I really relate to this, and that's chapter six, which is "No, You're Not a Nazi," which to me really encapsulates you know your journey into you know your new sort of role in life or, or who you are or what you believe. Um, many of us, many of us sort of younger classical liberals, conservatives have gone through these experiences on campus where you are effectively censored or called out for being a radical for believing in basic ideas of freedom and Western democracy. So that stood out to me as someone who has been called all these terrible, nasty things and, and sort of seeing you go through that and seeing it on paper is really useful. So, you know, I, I guess for people who don't know, although I think people know you here in the Great White North, but, you know, how would you explain your overall journey from the left to wherever you are now? How would you sort of, what's the elevator pitch for, for that? Yeah, well, as you know, and I describe in the book, you know, I come from what I would say is a good traditional New York liberal family in, in the old school sense of liberalism. My family, every holiday, we'd have dozens of people around the table, whatever holiday it was, whether it was religious or Thanksgiving, you know, adult table, kids table. I was the oldest of my generation, so I was always trying to get to the adults table because they were talking about politics and they were arguing about abortion or taxes or foreign policy or something. And it just seemed interesting. And everybody was always going back and forth. And my dad's fighting with my uncle and my uncle's fighting with my grandfather and whatever it was. But then at the, at the end of the meals, this always happened. Dessert would be served and everyone would, would just stop. It was over. Nobody left the house, you know, angry over politics or we're not talking anymore or anything like that. So when I say liberal in that sense, I do mean it obviously in the classical sense. I mean it more in the JFK sense of liberalism than anything close to what a liberal is thought of today. And, and that's partly why I wrote the book because I was really trying to, it was my last ditch effort, let's say, to disconnect leftism from liberalism because liberalism, which is in essence, live in, let live and individual rights. And you, know, you believe in the rule of law and laissez-faire economics. And then we can talk about some of the marginal issues. That's very different than sort of the totalitarian state collectivist view that the progressives have. So they call themselves liberal. They're actually quite anti-liberal. And unfortunately, I would say that anyone that still considers themselves an old school liberal, you're what I would say is a modern conservative. So I don't mind being called a conservative at this point. A, I would say most of my political allies are conservatives. And for whatever differences we might have, as you know, I, I took a begrudging pro-choice argument in that book. That's, the, that's like the biggest no-no for conservatives. But most people that wrote me emails or contacted me after or sent me messages or whatever it might be, they said, you know, Dave, I'm a conservative and I disagree with you about abortion, but I love the book and I want to live in the same country as someone like you. That really was the sentiment. So liberalism and the idea of a plurality of ideas and free expression, that's actually quite strong, I would say, on the conservative side of things right now, while the leftists have become the sort of hysterical authoritarian ones. I would add one other thing to that, which is, I, so I came from a sort of liberal background 
Then when I moved to LA and I was on the Young Turks, you know, I saw, I saw progressivism as just sort of liberalism on steroids. They were screaming all the time and morally right about everything and everyone that they were fighting was a bigot and a racist. And they were like superheroes against, you know, this all encompassing evil. But then within two years of basically being, uh, you know, part of the Young Turks and, and on the uh, progressive side of things, I quickly realized, you know, something is very, very wrong here. And then obviously I get into that in the book. And, and then my evolution is pretty, you know, I think, I think basically the reason people have been attracted to what I do is that I was open all along the ride and I shared what I was thinking along the ride. And, you know, it's kind of funny now, I see so many people sort of repeating the same things that I was saying five years ago. You know, Bill Maher now is always saying the things I said five years ago, Glenn Greenwald, is saying the things I said five years ago, Barry Weiss. And, and you know, in some ways it can be kind of annoying because I'm like, guys, I already did this. But on the other hand, it shows, it's like, you know, being ahead of the curve is, there's nice things that happen because of it, but it can also be a little frustrating to be totally honest. Oh yeah, I mean, that's basically, I imagine the Overton window continuing to move left and you're sort of seeing everyone around you just realizing this. I mean, do you feel like your journey is necessarily unique in the sense that, you know, I asked this question because there are a lot of young people, particularly here in Canada, which, as you know, is America, the wokeism of America on steroids. There's a lot of young people who sort of want to speak out, want to be themselves, want to have dialogue, especially on university campuses, right? I mean, you've been to campuses before, you know how it is, but they're afraid. There's that fear that's there. And, and you know, it's interesting in the book, not to give too much away, but you talk about the stress of losing friends and you're, you know, losing your hair and tossing and turning and you couldn't just, you know, just get through it in terms of the slander and the names you're being called, which I understand, again, in a microcosm, I've been slandered by the media up here as well. You, you sort of had a moment, um, for lack of a better term, you say a fuck this moment where something changed in you and you just, this is the hill you're dying on. Um, well, I'm look. wondering, yeah. Well, well, look, either you will stand up for who you are and what you believe and the things that you want to fight for and potentially be hated for it, that is possible, or you can just live on your knees forever and maybe be liked, but probably disrespected and really used as a pawn. And I clearly made my decision. It sounds like you've made your decision. And what I usually say to college kids who bring that point to me, you know, I want to say these things or I want to debate or I want to put my thoughts out there, whatever it may be. What I usually say to them is, look, I get why you're not doing it. Your friends are going to turn on you. Your family might turn on you. You're going to get mobbed on Twitter. You're going to have Reddit groups angry at you and people will try to dox you and all of the horrible things that exist, right? Like I've been through all of those things. Now I would say clearly I'm better on the other side, but that doesn't mean it's easy going through it. But I would take a bit of a Jordan Peterson approach to it, which is that if you don't do it, if you don't at 18, 19, 20 years old, say what you think about the world. Do you think you're magically gonna get braver when you're 24? I mean, this is one of the things that, that is so dangerous about what the left has done, where they took over the colleges, and it was very clever, take over the institutions where they learn. So they won't learn how to think, they'll learn what to think. And in this case, they'll mostly learn sort of collectivist or Marxist indoctrination, right? Now you have all of these good kids who don't say what they think. And I think what happens is a lot of them are like, ah, you know, when I just get out of college, 
Then I'll start telling people, and I'll have a job, I'll be a little more independent, something like that. Now I'll start saying what I think. But once you stop doing it, stop saying what you think, then going forward, it's very hard to reverse that entropy because you will start forgetting the person that you used to be. And, you know, three years of college will go by. And for three years of your life, which if you're 18 years old, you know, it's a fifth of your life, let's say, and you haven't said what you thought. Then you get out of college. Now you got a job and you might have a spouse and a car payment and a dog and a you know mortgage, whole bunch of other stuff. The idea that you'd suddenly get brave, I think is very naive. And that's why you almost, I would say, have no choice but to do it if you are to live a fulfilled life. And perhaps that's why so many people are not living fulfilled lives right now. So many people have been you know, cowed and, and silenced by the mob that they don't say what they think. And, you know, that really is all, the only thing that separates us from the animals, right? Like we have a mind, we have ability to logic and reason our way out of things and into things. And if you don't use that, then you're basically just a clone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and not to get too deep on this topic, but I, I think it's an important topic in relation to how people are behaving, uh, especially <clears throat> this year with the lockdowns happening all over North America. I've just been bombarded with people, as I'm sure you have, who are saying, you know, I don't want to lose my business, but I want to say this or, you know, whatever that may be. And I think, you know, people look to figures like yourself, to figures like Dr. Jordan Peterson and think, well, wow, you know, they're speaking on my behalf, which is great. But I guess my next question is, do you think we're at a point now where everyone has to speak up? Where it yes, can't just absolutely. be a few people? Yes, period. Nobody's coming to save you, Canada. I hate to tell you, and even Jordan Peterson can't save you. You can save yourself. There are people that will fight, right? So like there are public people, you know, in Canada, you've got a couple that I think are really good. You've got obviously Jordan Peterson and you've got uh, Gad Sad and you've got Viva Fry and you've got Ezra Levant and I don't want to leave out anybody, but there are a series of people that are publicly fighting in Canada. And, and by the way, what you guys do at Post Millennial is phenomenal. Um, so there are organizations on the outside that can help and all those things. But the, the person who owns the restaurant in Calgary, which Calgary, by the way, Jordan and I did two shows in Calgary. They were phenomenal. The cra I love Western Canada. I love Canada in general. I think the Canadian people are so pleasant and fun and light and full of life. And in some ways, that's what the government's using against you guys. You guys are sort of like very decent and very live and let live in many ways. And the government's now using that against you. I mean, what I'm seeing about the lockdowns in, in Montreal right now are just absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it's, it's insane. I, I, Gadsad lives in Montreal. I've, I have friends there. I mean, I know what's going on there. And then I've seen all sorts of other stuff. And of course, my, my friend and former guest, Maxime Bernier, you know, being arrested and all sorts of crazy stuff. But the thing is, Jordan cannot save the country. And, and even if you had 20 Jordans, they can't save the country. The people that will save the country are the pastor, uh, I'm blanking on his name, the pastor who Archer, fought Archer uh, Pavlovsky. Yes, the, uh, you know, who fought the police when they came to close down his church. It's the restaurateur in Calgary or in Edmonton or in Ontario who says, no, I'm not closing my restaurant. Because that's because then eventually the police officers that show up and the government bureaucrats that show up and the regulators, they're going to look at this person and go, why am I destroying this person's life? That's how you will fix things. It And, and people think, you know, if I just sit this one out, I'll be okay somehow. But no, you are a frog in a slowly boiling pot. And I would say it's even worse than that because in essence, 
you're the frog in the pot and your arm is out of the pot and you're the one that's slowly turning up the gas because your silence is feeding them. So you gotta find a way to fight within your life. Look, the simple truth is this, we're almost two years past, you know, or let's say we're a year and a half past two weeks to flatten the curve and everything else. It's like, you guys are still in some pretty serious draconian lockdowns. I'm here in California, which finally now is opening up a little bit more. No, is Trudeau gonna save you? Is, is I don't even know who the conservative leader is at this point in Canada, but I'm guessing he ain't gonna save you either. So it's like, you gotta save yourself, that's it. Yeah, well, 100%. I mean, you mentioned the restaurant tour in Calgary. Here in BC, you know, I'm, I'm in Vancouver, and you had hundreds of businesses complaining, saying we can't survive these lockdowns. They had a whole rally and everything. And then only two restaurants defied the lockdown orders. And, I, you know, I spoke to one, one restaurant tour, and he, he brought up a good point, which was if all 1,000 businesses did what, you know, our two businesses did, the lockdown would be lifted immediately, but they didn't. Yep. And then those two businesses were made an example of, right? So it's it's so true what you're saying. And I think it's especially true in relation to, to censorship on social media. You know, this is really timely because today that, you know, where we're recording this, Bill C-10 passed in the House of, of, uh, of Commons. Now, you're American, so I'll, I'll, I'll explain this a little bit. But basically... Speak slowly, I'm an American, for God's speak, sake. I'll speak slowly. But Canada has this bizarre obsession with nationalism in relation to culture, because we don't have one, we don't have a strong culture. So Bill C-10 is a bill that will legislate the internet in Canada. Essentially, it will force every single social media user, so that would be you, that would be, well, I guess not you, because you're not in Canada, but it would certainly be Jordan. Um, it would make them register as a broadcaster. And then as a broadcaster, you would be privy to regulations. Um, you'd be privy to promoting certain content. And should the government feel it necessary, they could just take you off the internet. And that's not Jordan, that's like everyone, every single social yeah. media user. So it's effectively the end of a free internet in Canada. And yet the bill was passed last night at 1.30 a.m. while we all slept soundly and apathetically. So, I mean... <laughs> I know big tech censorship isn't at that level yet for you guys, but for the Americans that might be listening, that's the level that we're at. And we're the lab rats for what's coming for you guys. So, I mean, what do you do there? Are you worried about big tech? Are you worried? I mean, speaking plainly now, are yeah. you worried that you could just be deleted one day off of YouTube? Well, of course. Of course, everybody should be worried. And by the way, when you say that you guys are the lab rats, I mean, I would say that everyone that lives in a Western nation right now who has experienced, you know, the wonders of freedom that, you know, post-World War II that the Western world has had, uh, is, is a lab rat. Whatever, whatever country you're in, the people are in Sweden are to some degrees, uh, to some degree lab rats, the same way you guys are, the same way we are. Now, first, I would say, from an American perspective, I mean, I have no idea what the government relationship with these big tech companies is. I don't think we're getting any honest answers on it. And, and I also don't think we have even a freaking something even remotely close to a clue as to what big tech is doing to manipulate us right now, whether they're directing traffic to certain channels or away from certain channels or the way they can manipulate us with um, suggested videos or whatever's going on in a search algorithm or whether it's shadow banning or deboosting or the series of Orwellian terms that we all now know that only a few years ago would have made no sense. So I think we're all being manipulated in ways that are, that are probably unimaginable. And I don't know that anyone even is fully in charge of any of it, uh, like how much collusion 
and coordination is there be between Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Look, they all booted Trump, you know, basically within 24 hours, but was that working together or was that, oh, someone made the move, now let's just go ahead and do it because they love sort of collectivist Borg thinking. I don't know what the answer to that is, but to, to directly answer your question, everyone should be worried. There are very few good answers here. Um, you know, there are some decentralized ways of doing things. You know, there's a lot of people working on decentralized storage, so they wouldn't be able to take out specific websites. And maybe, you know, I would have to know more specifically about the law. Maybe there's ways you could host your content on servers that were in other countries. I mean, these are all deeply, you know, complex issues. You know, you could use some peer-to-peer -peer stuff for messaging. Uh, this is obviously why I started Locals.com, but we don't have all the answers when it comes to fighting governments yet. We're working on decentralized storage and decentralized payments and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but it might be that you guys are actually sort of the sun is setting on what a, a truly free Canada looks like. That's what it seems like to me. I mean, you've got a absolutely ridiculous clown of a prime minister in Justin Trudeau. I mean, he is, he is sort of the worst of what these people are. He is just a fake, do nothing, but he looks right and he wears fancy socks. But the worst sort of virtue signaling, progressive, big government buffoon who wouldn't know how to stand up for his country if his life depended on it. And he's more than happy to use uh, you know, the, the levers of power to silence his own people. And the idea that you or Jordan Peterson or Gadsat or anyone else that we've mentioned here would be treated under the law as the same way as a, as a outfit of journalism, you know, just someone who talks for a living, gives their opinion for a living. It's so deeply dangerous. This is the stuff we expect out of regimes in the Middle East, not out of, you know, Western nations. A hundred percent. And I mean, to, to continue dunking on Canada with you, um, you know, we have the CBC, which is the main broadcaster in Canada that's funded by the government. So that's another thing for you Americans that must seem bizarre in the sense that I pay my taxes and my taxes fund a media corporation that, you know, slanders us daily. So it, it's a <laughs> right. really... And somehow is always for the government, right? It's always for yeah. more government in essence, right? Yeah, precisely, right? Shocking. I mean, electorally, if you're to, to run, you know, for example, the conservative leader is running on defunding and privatizing the corporation entirely, and they're shitting on him every day. It's like, well, of course they are, because they want, you know, they want a paycheck. So, yep. I, I mean, speaking on media, you know, you bring up locals. And for those listening, locals is essentially a way better version of Patreon. Um, and it, it is a hub I think it's become really a bit of a hub for a lot of creators. I mean, there's a radio host in Canada named Daniel Smith, who I've had on the show. She left, volunteer, she canceled herself from the most popular radio station in Canada and joined Locals and just makes content on Locals now, right? And if you like her, you right. go and subscribe and you pay. And if you don't, that's all good too. I mean, speaking from a, a business and a media perspective, do you think that's sort of the future? Is that the direction that we're going in in terms of how we consume media? Is that a subscription-based sort of world where you know we can choose who we like, choose our figures, and subscribe to them? Yeah, I think small tech will be the new big tech. We're all sick of big tech. We're all sick of top-down, giant monoliths above us that are completely... Um, guarded from having to answer any questions or give us any sort of clear thoughts on anything. I mean, think about it. We're all on Twitter, right? We're all on Facebook. We're all on Gmail. 
Can you imagine what it would be like trying to get someone from any of those companies on the phone? I, I am extremely well connected. I'm, I'm obviously a public person. I'm, I have powerful agents. I have access to people. I cannot get anyone on the phone from Twitter. I have literally been trying for 10 years. I can't even get an email address of anyone at Twitter. So people have just had it with these giant corporations, which by the way, then when you add the woke part of this and the diversity and inclusion stuff and, and, and that in essence, these companies are now Marxist run. I mean, that really is the truth. I'm happy to expand on that if you want. Um, we shouldn't want these companies to exist forever. It's one of the reasons I've been very hesitant to call for regulation because once you get the government sort of intertwined with these things, big, cover, big government and big tech, now you've got even sort of a bigger monster that sort of is always there. So I hear a lot of people saying, well, well Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, they're the new public square and we have to regulate them. Well, I don't want them to be the public square. I don't trust these people. I don't trust the algorithms. I don't trust the tech behind it. So what I would prefer is that over time, they will crumble. They're gonna hire worse people because they're gonna hire based on skin color and gender and sexuality rather than hiring on skill. So their engineers will get worse, their product will get worse over time. And what I do believe in is human ingenuity. I believe that human beings can always build a better mousetrap. And as ubiquitous and scary as Amazon and Google seem, they will not exist forever. Kodak was once huge. Enron was once huge. There were huge things that existed before. The dinosaurs, you know, roamed the earth. Now they're oil. Like, we've always got a chance as long as humans have, have the ability to think freely. Now, now, free thought is under assault too. But I would say, yes, a bottom-up internet. That's what we're building with locals. I always tell people, we're building digital homes the way you live in a home. That means somebody built you a home and then they get out of your way. What you do in that home is up to you. So we build you uh, a community that's subscription-based, so it costs a couple bucks to get in, you set the paywall, but you know what, you charge a couple bucks, no bots, no trolls, the behavior's great, the, the level of discourse is fantastic, you own the video, you own the audio, we just debuted live video streaming last week, so anyone can live video stream from their phone, that means if I got booted from YouTube right this second, I could still get my message out to all of my local subscribers, um, I think we've built something that solves 95% of the problems for 95% of the people. Amazing. Well, what would you say to someone who, you know, going back to your previous point, someone who says, well, Dave, you know, it's a bit of an oxymoron to say that these capitalist corporations are being run by Marxists who would seemingly want to dismantle those corporations. How could you elaborate on that more? Sure. I love the question. And I think it's an important one to address that, that in general, I think we should be talking about more. So, there's a funny thing here. If you think about the Disney Corporation, now the Disney Corporation, which now basically owns everything, right? They, they own all of our dreams. They own Star Wars and the Marvel Universe. That's not good that one giant corporate entity owns so much of the mythology of the modern world. But Disney has become woke in that they constantly push these woke messages and diversity and inclusion into their characters. And they're always, you know, you have to figure out who the LGBT character is. And, the, you know, they're constantly signaling all of the stuff that I think most of your audience gets. Now, do I believe that Disney, the executive branch and the top brass at Disney believe in all of that? And do they believe that capitalism is evil and everything else? Of course not. Disney, as a corporation, cares about one thing, making money. That's the most capitalist thing you can do. They are using the woke ideas as, as fodder, basically, to push their, their, 
desire to make money. And now this is a this is a tough one to argue because I'm obviously a capitalist. Now, I don't begrudge Disney doing well, I can't say that. I, it's not that I don't begrudge them. I begrudge them that they're doing something quite evil. But I don't think that there's a government agency that should stop them from doing it. I think more people should just tune out and stop paying attention to their crap. Now, I get it. It's tough. I was paying for a Disney Plus account and then they got rid of Gina Carano and I was about to cancel it. And then my sister, I gave my password to my sister. She's got young kids. They're watching the Disney movies and I don't want them to be brainwashed, but the old stuff used to be good. So I get why people don't just, you know, and it's tough, by the way, to take a stand on everything every moment of the day. And you don't want to just sit in a dark room alone instead of consuming any sort of content, right? So I get all of those inconsistencies that we all have. But the point is that I don't think Disney as a company is Marxist. They're not sharing all of their money with all of their employees equally. Of course not, right? They're a capitalist company. When's the last time you went to Disneyland, which I think just reopened here in California? It is the most ridiculously expensive, you know, $12 for a Coke, you know, obscenely capitalist thing. Now, again, they can do it and it's your choice to go or not. That's the beauty of capitalism. No one's forcing you to go to Disney, but I don't think they believe in it. They're using it as a tool to brainwash the masses. Because if you ever wanted to control people, what would be the best thing that you could do? Tell everybody they'll be equal. Tell everybody the rich people are bad. And then what will we do? By destroying them, we can somehow raise us, but that's never how it works. What you can do is you can destroy, and at the same time you destroy, those are all the creators and the job creators and the innovators, and then you crush everybody. That's why Marxism and socialism never works. Capitalism, as let's say roughly flawed as it can be, I mean, I actually don't think it's very flawed because as I said, you're not forced to do anything. That's the beauty of capitalism. It's like, you know what? If you don't like the Disney movies, start writing better movies. You can do it in a capitalist system. Um, so capitalism always leans more to freedom. That doesn't mean there's going to be no corruption in capitalism, but what these companies are pushing on us is just complete nonsense. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, something that we've highlighted in this discussion is the need for you, the person watching or listening, to do something, right? Whether it's what we talked about before with the figures or whether it's with what's happening with Disney. You know, again, what, what would you say, and I, you touch on this in the book, but let's say, you know, I have the part of my brain that is fearful of getting canceled. I happen to not have that, but let's say I was someone who has that. And I own a business. You're lucky. Was that a lobotomy? What happened over there? I don't. I, I you my mom dropped. When you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. It got hit by a truck, and then since then, I'm just you know making myself unemployable. Um, but let's say I'm a small business owner. Let's say you're you're someone who has a family, who has four kids, and a mortgage, and and you know, like you said before, the older you get, the more the, the there's risk. Yeah. And someone says, Dave, you know, I just can't take this stuff. I hate it. I wish I could say something, but I'm just too afraid. I'm afraid that if I say something, I'll lose my job and I'll lose my family and my friends. And, you know, I'll, I'll end up like Diogenes living in a barrel. So, you know, what does that person do? Well, look, I would first say that what life do you have right now? If really the way you're operating in essence is I live a life where my friends don't really know what I think. My family doesn't really know what I think. I don't really do the things that I feel that I should do on this earth. Well, then you're probably not living a fully actualized life. You're, and then the, when you don't do that, then the, there's sort of a cascade of problems that come after that. 
Um, you know, obviously Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this sort of thing. This is why you want to stand up straight with your shoulders back and, and present yourself to the world as a confident person that is going to get that thing in the distance, that is going to work very hard at something. So if you are a young person in Canada right now, let's say you're a great chef and your dream has been since you were young to own a restaurant. And now you're 19 and you're going, ah, I don't know if I can own a restaurant because the government could lock us down at any point. You know, it's beca- it's restaurants in general, something like 92% of restaurants fail in the first year in good times because owning a restaurant is extremely difficult. And you, you know, you, you think that you're just cooking food. Next thing you know, you're managing employees and there's insurance and all sorts of stuff. But what, if you don't go do that thing, then your life will never get to the potential that it was supposed to get to. So again, I am not saying it's easy, but I would say this, when I started saying what I thought and I started saying, hey, guys on the left, when I was a lefty, something ain't right here. Like we're not acting liberally. And then, you know, this is five years ago where now everyone sort of sees it. Yes, I lost friends. I've had problems with family members. All of the stuff that you've had, that anyone watching this has had, we all go through the same thing. That's why the red pill moment is such a, it's such a beautiful thing because if you remember the original Matrix, there was the character uh, by Joe Palantonio, I think his name is, or Palantonio, and he, in essence, he's, he's awake, he's taken the red pill, but then he doesn't want it anymore because he's like, no, this, this constant reality, it's too much. Ignorance is bliss. I want to go back. And he makes a deal with the machines, basically. You know, he's supposed to kill Neo, in essence. Um, I think a lot of people want to be that. It's not that they want to be that person, but they become too afraid. So you just want to go along with the flow. The thing is, it's just a recipe for disaster. Look, all of us, if you get to live a ripe old age, let's say of 90, and you could look back on your life, would you, would you rather look back on a life where you were like, you know, I, I said what I had to say and did what I had to do, and I took the slings and arrows, and maybe I didn't get everything I wanted. Maybe I did, who knows? You know, but, but I lived life on my terms. That would be a, a hell of a lot better, I guarantee you, as a 90-year-old than saying, you know, I just didn't really do anything. I was afraid of this when I was 18, and then I was afraid of this when I was 30, and afraid of this other thing when I was 50 and 70, and now I'm 90 and it's over, and it's like, what's the point? I would sum all of this up by saying, listen to the song My Way by Frank Sinatra, and you'll have the answer. <laughs> that's, that's a very good summary. Last question. We're going to talk about the future. So... 2021 is pretty awful, um, and it doesn't seem like things are getting... I thought this was the good year. I thought this was the good year after 2020. Didn't they, well, isn't that what they told us? Well, we were going to flatten the curve, right? And then, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's happening. So, so, you know, taking the pandemic into context, but taking CRT and the woke culture and cancel culture, just everything we've talked about, where do you see... You know, I'm not going to say America or Canada, just North America, the West. Where do you see the Western world four, five, ten years from now? The West is in an extraordinarily precarious position right now. You know, every year that there's an election, I'm sure you guys get it when they're electing prime minister. We get it when they're, we're electing uh, president uh, or when anyone's electing parties or coalitions or whatever it is. This is the most important election ever. This is the one that, and it's like, no, they're not all that important. Some, you know, like if you just think back to say, like, um, I, I'll pick just one random one. Let's say uh, Michael Dukakis, 1988 versus George H.W. Bush. Dukakis was a liberal. Obviously, Bush was a conservative, but they both loved America. 
it was obvious. They had different feelings about taxes, this, that, or the other thing. But, but the basic guardrails of, oh, America is good, the West is good, our foundational documents are good, that was in place. Well, now, in essence, I would say the woke are here to destroy everything. They, they are actually here uh, with their corporate partners for reasons that I said, not because the corporations really believe it, but it's the greatest way to control people and give people less and less and less in the name of tolerance and goodness the entire time. Um, they are here to destroy the system. Bernie Sanders, the squad, Trudeau, these are people who are here to destroy the system either out of true, I would say, evil intentions, but a lot of it's just they don't understand the way the world works. They don't understand human nature. They don't know what freedom is. They don't know how good they've got it. You know, for anyone that's running around screaming how bad it is in Canada, it's like nobody leaves Canada either. Actually, I guess sometimes people leave to come to the US, but pretty much nobody's leaving Canada, right? And, and I suspect that it will change now. I actually, I know at least two people who are in the process of moving out of Canada right now because of what's going on. But as for what the next five, 10 years are going to look like, I mean, we're at, we're at a truly pivotal moment right now. Will the West fight for itself? Will America fight for America or will it just fold? Uh, from a political perspective, I would say the 2022 election in America, in this case, might be the most important one because if the Republicans can take back the House, just take back some degree of control. It doesn't mean that the Republicans are right about everything, but they're way better than the Democrats. And if we can just do that, and then by some miracle, you get like a Ron DeSantis and Trump runs cover for him as the bodyguard, and he plows through the media while DeSantis is the statesman, well, then you could start really re-jiggering re, uh, things and, and or let's say reassembling things from a political perspective. But again, to get where we started, that's not really the answer. The only answer is you, Angelo, me, Dave, and anyone watching this must figure out in your own life, how will you fight for these things? Whether that's not shying away from the conversation at the dinner table, or whether that's speaking up at your kid's school, or fighting diversity and inclusion at your office, or whatever it might be. That is the only thing that solves this thing. Do not think that some white knight or Gandalf is coming. I think I got, I'm getting the reference right. Uh, I, do, do not think he's coming. They ain't coming. And if I'll do it as a Star Wars thing too, at the end of Rise of Skywalker, when all the ships showed up, don't think all the ships are showing up. You got a chance to figure it out in your life. That's the best you got right now. And then we see. Got the Matrix. We got Star Wars in. We got Lord of the Rings. I might have heard Not that. bad. You know, not bad, not bad, Dave. Rubin. You know, let me, uh, I could at least give a reference to a couple great Canadians, uh, John Candy and uh, Rick Moranis. How about that? Amazing, amazing Canadians. Um, that's a good note to, to, to end things on. Dave Rubin, thanks so much. Angelo, it was my pleasure. That was Dave Rubin. He's the host of The Rubin Report, which you can find on YouTube and Locals.com. He's also on Twitter and Facebook and just about every other social media they currently let him on. Um, he also has a book. It's called Don't Burn This Book. It's available, again, just about everywhere where they sell books. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's especially good as an introduction for a lot of people who are more interested in becoming public about their politics. Um, so it's really, really great. Don't burn this book. I got this on Amazon. I highly recommend it. Let me know your thoughts. If you're listening to this on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, please like and share. Similarly to YouTube, please like and share and subscribe. It's super, super helpful. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you did too. Until next time, I'm Angelo Sidoro. 
If you liked that video and want to see more, please make sure to subscribe to The Post Millennial. For daily news and content, please go to thepostmillennial.com and consider becoming a member. For $5 a month, you can get rid of all the advertisements on the site. If you like what I'm wearing on my head, you can go to shop.postmillennial.com where we have beanies, mugs, and t-shirts. Please consider supporting The Post Millennial however you can. It's massively appreciated. Thank you.